what's always interesting though, is when somebody comes up to you months or years later and said, oh gosh, you, you rescued me, you saved me. And it's, you know, you're out of character, you're out of uniform. Like, how did you recognize me? You know, it just happened to me the other day at the grocery store. Someone came up to me and like, oh, you're Jen, you rescued me, you know, a couple years ago. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Voices of Greater Yellowstone podcast. I'm your host, Kristen Oxford. The Greater Yellowstone ecosystem, which spans over 20 million acres across parts of Montana, Idaho, and Wyoming, is a vast and expansive landscape home to remote peaks, wild rivers, and iconic wildlife. As such, it is also replete with opportunities for adventure. There is no shortage of hikers, mountain bikers, climbers, mountaineers, hunters, and more out exploring the landscape at any given moment. With all that space and so many people out in it, there's also no shortage of opportunities to get in a bit of trouble. So what happens when you fall down a slope and break your leg miles from the trailhead? Or a friend of yours went out for a hike, but it's hours after they were supposed to return and there's no sign of them. Luckily, Greater Yellowstone is home to a number of amazing search and rescue teams, such as Teton County Search and Rescue, whose highly trained members are equipped to respond to emergencies across an unpredictable and sometimes unforgiving landscape. Search and rescue teams are made up of dedicated volunteers specializing in backcountry medicine, missing person behavior, swift water rescue, technical rope rescue, and so much more. As a former search and rescue volunteer myself, I was really excited for today's episode where we talk with Jen Sparks, a member of the Teton County Search and Rescue Team. Jen has been a search and rescue volunteer since 1998, and she's also a board member of the Teton County Search and Rescue Foundation. The foundation supports the team and conducts mountain safety outreach and education in the greater Jackson Hole community. Jen joined us via video chat from her home in Wyoming, and just a heads up, her dog was in the room as well, so you will hear some signs of life in the background. We spoke with Jen about what drew her to search and rescue, the nuts and bolts of being on a team, the types of training exercises they conduct, and how they stay safe doing it all in grizzly bear country. We'll also hear about a few memorable moments from the field, discover what's in Jen's pack, and most importantly, learn what her favorite knot is. All right, let's jump in, albeit carefully, and learn more about the incredible work that goes into search and rescue operations in the greater Yellowstone ecosystem. Okay, first up, just go ahead and state your name, tell us where you live, um, perhaps describe your involvement with the Teton County Search and Rescue Team, and then if you so choose, uh, let us know what you do when you're not volunteering with the team. Okay, great. Um, well, my name is uh, Jen Sparks, and I have been on Teton County Search and Rescue since 1998. <laughs> I live in Teton County, Wyoming, uh, in the town of Jackson. And when I'm not volunteering uh, for our search and rescue team, I'm also on several other boards in our county, um, Jackson Old Land Trust. I am Snake River Fund, Bridger Teton Avalanche Center, uh, Rendezvous Land Conservancy. I think I, I think I hit them all. Um, when I am not volunteering in my nonprofits, I just started my own business. I was in finance for the last 25 years um, and I just spun out and I started my own business called Sparks and Rec. Um, and it's uh, 
helping businesses, entrepreneurs, families integrate more thoughtfully and philanthropically into the valley as they move into Jackson Hole, sort of be boots on the ground. That is amazing. You are a busy gal, and I got to say, Sparks and Rick, great name choice. Thank you. <laughs> That's really wonderful. So you've been on the team since 1998. Uh, what first drew you to join? So when I moved to Jackson in 1989, I'm really dating myself, um, I had lived here several years, and I wanted to give back to the community in some fashion. So there was a tiny ad in the paper looking for volunteers. I didn't have a background in, uh, I didn't have a medical background or, you know, I was sort of still new and fresh to the, to the county. Um, and I just thought it would be an interesting way to volunteer my time and um, sort of give back. Awesome. What was the recruitment process like up Apart from just a, um, you know, seeing an ad in the paper, what, how did you actually go from seeing the ad to getting on the team? Uh, it was an interview process. They still have my picture from 1993 tacked up. <laughs> That's That's awesome. uh, it was much more simple than it is today. Um, to be honest, I don't remember all the details, um, but we did go through a, you know, a, a training. Um, I think it was probably six months to a year of, trial time frame, you know, to show your skills or show how you are as a teammate, get integrated. Mm -hmm. Much different today. Yeah. So what is it like today for new folks? Today it is, we just onboarded 10 new folks in the last, uh, it's been a long time and we had, you know, COVID in there. So that was on pause. Um, we had, I think over 150 applicants this time for 10 spots. And so we pared it down um, to 10 people. That's what we onboarded. And that was, we had wanted to bring on 10 new folks. Um, and it was, it's a year long process now. It's pretty regimented and it's, it's a lot of time and energy and dedication. And not that it wasn't back in 1998, it's just a different process these days. <laughs> when I was brought onto the team, we were sort of, it wasn't, we were not under the umbrella of the sheriff's office. And now we are under, uh, part of Teton County um, Sheriff's Department. We're all um, volunteers though. So we're not a paid, but back in, back in the day, it was not part of the sheriff's office. A little bit more wild, crazy. <laughs> right. Yeah. A little bit more um, loosey goosey setup. I yeah. know, you know, quite a few search and rescue teams sort of sprang up pretty organically several decades ago. And of course, now it's much more uh, regimented with, you know, MOUs with sheriff's departments or operating within a sheriff's department or, you know, all that. It's like we got to keep our keep tabs on all these these wild SAR volunteers. <laughs> There's advantages and disadvantages to that. So. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Um, so how would you just describe search and rescue sort of as a concept to somebody who was just, you know, fundamentally unfamiliar with it. Sure. Um, so our, I guess our tagline or mission statement is to save lives. Um, we don't do urban rescues. We do rescues in the backcountry, anything in Teton County. Um, and I would say our team is called out when there's a missing person or someone's in trouble or 
someone's hurt, um, but again, in the backcountry, not, not in the confines of the town. Mm-hmm. So I'm assuming the sheriff's department, you know, takes care of urban search and rescue, but then uh, Teton County search and rescue is deployed to those backcountry situations. Yeah. When you probably need a, a different skill set to, you know, find somebody mm-hmm. or extract somebody. So what what are some of the types of skills that team members either, you know, train in or expect it, are expected to be proficient at? Um, first and more, first and foremost, I would say to be a great teammate, um, to have each other's back. That makes a really amazing team member. Um, and to have trust in each other, good communication, but some, um, and some of the softer skills, empathy and, um, uh, working with each other, but some of the other skills that we train in are um, rigging for rescue, swift water, um, mapping is a big part of it. Um, we do medical training, backcountry skiing. Um, we don't necessarily, we, we train in ski, backcountry skiing. Most of the team members are already proficient skiers because it's such a big part of our community. Um, but as, um, I guess backcountry skills in the outdoor or in the winter time, um, I would say that's it. I think I, I think I got them all. So yeah, a pretty broad array of skills in order to operate in this kind of terrain. Do you have any specific skill set on the team or is like, does everybody, is everyone kind of expected to be proficient at all of those things or can folks actually specialize? I would say there are people on the team that are really skilled in mountaineering and swift water, um, rigging for rescue, et cetera. I like wintertime rescues. I also like um, just sort of the all year round missing person, getting out in the woods, tracking, um, mapping. I would say that's my proficiency, carrying heavy gear. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Um, and we do have, I mean, our team is really well, it's really heavy in the medical. There's a lot of woofers. We have two ER doctors, a few nurses, a lot of EMTs. Um, we're all trained in medical, like I mentioned. Um, but they probably wouldn't ask me to pull traction on somebody's tip fib when we have a lot of other skilled members on the team. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Is there is there a minimum level of um, medical training that folks are expected to have, like a woofer? Um, yes, and we're all uh, basic life saving BLS. Um, okay. And um, and yes, and we're all. We actually just last past weekend, we just all went through recertifying for CPR um, and patient packaging. Okay. Yeah. Um, which I'm sure is particularly important in a place that gets such cold winters. <laughs> so, um, and for folks listening who may not be familiar with the acronym, WOOFER uh, just stands for or means Wilderness First Responder. So it's just a type of wilderness medical training that folks can get. Okay, so Jen, uh, you mentioned you were also a board member of the Teton County Search and Rescue Foundation. And I'm just curious what kinds of things the foundation does to support the team. Sure. So our bylaws um, for the foundation ask that two teammates be the liaison and sit on the foundation board. Um, So the foundation really supports the team, not only in 
providing gear, um, but also additional trainings. Um, you can you can ask the foundation if you want to go back and get your woofer and see if the foundation would help pay for that. Um, or if you're really into rigging for rescue, they might pay for you to go and take an additional class or course in that. So it's really supporting the team in whatever area that might be, not monetarily, but food, um, supplying gear and safety gear and education. What a great resource to have. That's really wonderful. It's really amazing. The foundation is goes above and beyond um, their their duties for sure. And I know that also as a teammate, but also as being a foundation member. So, yeah, I mean, especially I would imagine since um, search and rescue is all volunteer or at least in this context, all volunteer um, to have that additional support, I'm sure must be really nice. And so, yeah, like you said, really folks aren't getting paid. So, yeah. Some, some support with professional development and gear and all that I'm sure goes a long way. Yes. In addition, they do supply us with a stipend, um, which is nice if you're lacking in whatever you need it for. Um, you know, your hiking boots burned out, you need a new, you know, I don't know, whatever it might be. Sure. Yeah, because I'm sure um, Team Gear probably uh, gets put through its paces quite a bit. So probably seeing some, some significant turnover in hiking boots, et cetera. Okay. So now that we know a little bit about the team, let's get oriented to place. So tell us a bit about Teton County itself. You know, like what kind of terrain does the county cover, where it's roughly located within, within Wyoming and, you know, leading question here. Um, if there's perhaps any significant points of national interest within the county. <laughs> Tell us about the county. Uh, Teton County is located in, in northwest Wyoming, very rugged. In Teton County, Grand Teton National Park is located in the part of Yellowstone. But So Grand Teton National Park has its own rescue team, but we do work closely with them and do a lot of collaboration and do a lot of rescues together. We work closely with them, not only on, with our short haul team, but just the team in general. Um, we have each other's back that way. It's, it's quite amazing, um, collaboration and, um, crossover. So the terrain is rugged. It's vast. It's, uh, it's a lot of open space. Um, there's a lot of forest service BLM land that people recreate on, um, areas that are, that are, have trail, trail systems, but a lot of areas that don't. Yeah. Okay. So big wild country for oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, the same kinds of things that presumably, you know, draw folks to visit this landscape because it is so wild and magnificent, I would imagine also make for some pretty tricky terrain features when you're talking about a search and rescue operation. Yes. That's why your mapping spills need to be spot on as you're um, looking for, let's just for, say for an example, making sure you're reading the map that it's, you know, we're not going into some sort of cliffed out area or steep terrain. Right. So probably, you know, some of the same hazards that would get folks stuck in the first place can also present some serious challenges for search and rescue personnel. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So what kinds of things does the team do to train for this, to kind of, you know, accommodate and prepare for the challenges of working, you know, in a landscape like this in the greater Yellowstone ecosystem? Sure. I would say, you know, first you're, you're, you should have the proper gear, um, as far as making sure 
what you're getting yourself into on rescue, you're well outfitted for that, whether it's a 24 hour pack, whether it's the right shoes, whether it's the right layers. Um, so have that. Um, and that's sort of always in the back of your mind when you go out and rescue, it's like, what do I need today? Do I need bear spray? You know, do I need my swift water gear? Uh, so as far as how do we prepare for that? Um, I mean, each rescue is totally different. So we, everyone on the team is somewhat fit, or if you're feeling like you don't want to go on this rescue or you're not prepared, you can self-select and say, you know, I'll stay behind. I'll get food. I'll help in the IC, which is instant command center. Um, I'll drive the trucks, I'll shuttle. So people are pretty good at self-selecting. Um, if it's an area that you're not proficient in, um, and as far as training each month, we have a Saturday, a dedicated Saturday that we train and it's, um, you know, ahead of time what you're getting into. For example, like I mentioned last weekend was medical training, CPR. So studying ahead of time to see <clears throat> what's needed on that. Um, and then we have a Wednesday once a month training to sort of prepare for what's coming up that weekend. So, okay. Uh, in addition, we always do supplemental trainings during the month. Um, and then, I mean, just being on rescue is considered training. Sure. Yeah. So big time commitment. Um, even, you know, even if you never went on a call out, it sounds like it'd be a big time commitment just to participate in the degree of training, which is, you know, comforting and good to know. Um, so you mentioned uh, one of the ways to prepare, of course, is to have the right things with you. What are some of the things that we would find in a team member's pack? Sure. So um, our foundation has a um, dedicated person that does PSAR, which is preventative search and rescue. And they run these uh, what's in your pack classes, which are amazing for locals or for anyone in the um, Valley that signs up for it. Um, but a typical pack, different in the winter versus summer, but we always have, um, my pack always has water, food, an extra puffy, hand warmers, headlamp, hat, gloves. If it's just, if it's this time of year, let's just say fall, I would have bear spray. Uh, I would have my... Um, mapping device, which would be on my phone. Uh, CalTopo is a app that we use to help us find people um, or get to the location. I think I hit the highlights, um, but definitely extra clothes, extra layers, extra layers for the patient or for the person that is hurt or missing. That's it. Pretty, pretty Comprehensive. Um, and of course, you mentioned bear spray. So for folks who, you know, don't live in bear country the way that we do, um, you know, are there any other precautions you would take or considerations? Because not only are you in this sort of challenging environment, but also we have big, you know, somewhat sometimes scary wildlife in this area. So any other things that you have to do to prepare um, for, you know, possible wildlife interactions? Um I mean, we never go out solo, um, so we're always paired up in two, three, four. Uh, so we make a lot of noise, carry bear spray. We talk to each other on the radio, like, hey, we just saw a grizzly, we just saw a bear, you know, there's a moose, etc." cetera. Uh, knock on wood, we've never had um, an incident with a large carnivore or um, other sort of animals. 
And, but we just recently in the last, I think it's two years, we have a bear tactical team that we, um, that's been new and it's a collaboration between the sheriff office, uh, the forest service, a few members on our teams that they train separately. Um, in, um, because we've encountered some bear maulings and, and some of the rescues and, uh, we thought it would be prudent to sort of step it up a little bit in that area and be prepared um, if we do. So it's basically this bear tactical team would go in when we know it's a known mauling or if there's bear involved. So, um, and the team, this is a specific team that does that, but every one of us is trained with the knowledge of how to deal with a bear, et cetera. Okay. Yeah. Wow. That's, that is really interesting. So, so yeah, everybody has to be prepared for the, you know, possibility of, of a wildlife encounter, but a special tactical team, if you know that you're dealing with a bear in particular. And we just did a training. It was probably two months ago on really how that scenario would play out. Um, So it's good learning experience. Yeah, I can, I can imagine. Um, Okay. So, so a, bear specific scenarios one thing um what are some of the other types of callouts that the team might respond to like give us some you know just broad strokes examples of the types of operations you participate in so this year has been particularly busy um we have had i believe 108 callouts year to date just for reference last year our at the end of the year we had 105 rescues so we're already surpassed that um, and we're not even into ski season yet. Um, but I would say the last, maybe just looking through the summertime, we had a lot of um, bike accidents, uh, had missing hikers. We had um, dehydrated runners. Uh, we've had a lot of horseback accidents. We've had missing people. We've had a lot of river rescues. Um, a few fatalities, unfortunate fatalities in the last six months. That's about it. <laughs> I mean, that's a, <laughs> that's a pretty, pretty intense list. What would you say if you just had to guess, because I'm sure there's very specific data on this, but just if you just had to kind of ballpark it, um, proportionally, what would be the, the amount of callouts that are responding to a person in a known location who is somehow stranded or incapacitated or, you know, injured in some way versus actually looking for someone whose location is unknown? I'd say more people that, people that are incapacitated and called in. We have a few missing persons. This, we're coming into hunting season and there's always um, overdue hunters, you know, missing hunters. Um, which usually turns out knock on wood to be just an overdue hunter that may be lost or was dealing with the, you know, the animal that killed and they're overdue. Um, but I'd say percentage wise, probably 70% are known location um, just missing people. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. I, I kind of have to wonder if that proportion is going to kind of continue to change as, you know, communication in the backcountry expands, you know, with folks who have satellite communicators and, uh, you know, GPS devices and they know where they are, but they just are stuck versus like that same person, you know, 20 years ago might have been in a mountain biking accident and also been missing because 
they couldn't communicate to tell anyone where they were. Sure. Just ironically, in the last two weeks, we had um, two spot device activation rescues that turned out to be false or just somebody had activated the spot without knowing it. Oh, um, interesting. Which we have to respond to regardless because that's why you have a spot device. <laughs> right. But recently you had two that were false alarms. So to yes, speak. in yeah. one week. Were the folks um, in one week, oh my gosh, um, were the folks surprised when suddenly a bunch of search and rescue volunteers descended on them? Um, so in a spot activation, you, we try to track down the information before we deploy the whole team. Um, <laughs> so we did have one last year that was uh, in a very remote location. Um, and they sent a helicopter in and the woman was in her tent. <laughs> What's going oh, on? Oh my goodness. Why are you here? Yeah. She, hey, it came out for some peace and quiet. <laughs> she had uh, kept her spot device in her sleeping bag to keep it warm and had rolled on and set it off. So okay. that's it happens. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, that's pretty interesting though. So I guess, um, you know, keep your, keep your thumbs away from your spots and your garments and all that, unless you really need them. <laughs> so you mentioned earlier um, that there's good cooperation between your team and then the teams for the national parks themselves. Can you tell us a little bit more about what that looks like? Is that just training coordination? I mean, that's actually, you know, working together on callouts. What does the relationship look like between your team and other search and rescue teams? Yeah, so we do a lot of cross-training with the park in our short haul team. I'm not part of our short haul team. Um, we have each other's backs on, on the short haul aspect of it. They train together for that. But um, we collaborate and cooperate with not only Grand Teton National Park, but with um, the Sheriff's Office, Jacksonville Mountain Resort, um, the Forest Service, like I said, BLM. So it's, it's great to do a fire EMS, which is our local um, our EMS team as well. Um, it's great to train with them just to um, see how each team works and to, to try to have the most successful rescue, um, which you don't get to do as much as I would like to collaborations with these other teams. But when you do, it's always like a high five, like that. So it's so great to work with you guys. But um, so that involves, um, so we do some interagency training once in a while, um, you know, that'll, and each team, like we always invite pe- people to train with us, like the firing master, whoever, the park, et cetera. They're always invited to come join the training if they can. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So that's nice as far as um, getting to know a name and a face um, and, and what their abilities are. Uh, I think that would probably it. I think we probably work closest. Actually, that's not true. We work with Jacksonville Mountain Resort Ski Patrol quite a bit. Um, oh, okay. Because the access in the backcountry, we do a lot of rescues when, because the, the gates are open. Um, and if you are familiar with the Jacksonville Mountain Resort, um, if somebody skis out of bounds on on the south side, it's technically our rescue. If it's on the north side, it's Grand Teton National Park. Um, and so, if somebody goes out of the gates and skis into Granite Canyon and gets hurt. We will work together, but that's a park technically in Utah National Park. Yeah, same mountain. Wow, fascinating. 
real quick for folks who aren't familiar with the term short haul, would you describe a short haul operation to us? Sure. That's when um, a helicopter comes, somebody's hanging from the, the underneath the helicopter or one of our teammates, they get inserted into um, a difficult terrain area, assess the situation. The, the pilot, helicopter pilot will put that person down. Um, our team assess the situation, packages the patient. Um, the, the helicopter will come back and uh, pick up the patient and our teammate. And again, they're hanging underneath the helicopter um, and bring them to a safe location. So it's a very specialized, specific type of training. Um, you obviously have to be comfortable with hanging underneath a, a loud uh, helicopter. And it's always cold, <laughs> but it's actually a necessity. It's an amazing tool that our team has is really proficient in. Um, it's very technical. It's uh, safe, but it's also gets you into locations that are. Sorry. <laughs> Pup sounds. <laughs> um, gets you into terrain that might take hours to let you know access on foot, or you know on snowmobile or on mountain bike or razor. Um, so it's uh, it's been it's it's been a process, but we have it pretty proficient right now. And they train, our, our short haul team trains with Grand Teton National Park. So everyone's on the same page. Everyone works, has the same protocol. Yeah, that seems um, very important, but also, um, man, what a, what a game changer, you know, when that tool became available for search and rescue. Right. Yeah. Um, so you talk about uh, you know, interactions with other teams sort of in the same terrain. Do you guys ever go on mutual aid calls outside the county or are you kind of so busy in Teton that your your focus area really stays to the county itself? Um, we, for the most part, it's mostly Teton County. Um, but again, we're so close to Fremont County or, you know, some of the surrounding counties. If they need additional support and help, we are there for them for sure. Um, and vice versa, um, whether it's just... So for example, um, Rodeo Wall is in Lincoln County, but it's very, it's much closer for us to respond, our search and rescue team versus Lincoln County's, because it's literally right on the border. So that's an example of where we might help with that rescue, or we might just do that rescue. Um, in addition, Teton Canyon, which is like Table Mountain, et cetera, we've had a lot of rescues over there, but it's like an hour and a half for us to get there. Um, so sometimes Teton County, Idaho, we'll do, we'll work with Teton County, Idaho rescue team to, to assess the situation and, and maybe both respond to that um, call out with that rescue. Yeah, no, I mean, that's a good reminder that, you know, the terrain itself, the topography of the land, um, could have a lot more to do with accessibility than, you know, where a county line happens to lie across it all. So good to have that kind of established relationship and be able to move nimbly um, when, you know, someone's, someone's life is on the line. So that's great to hear. Any, you know, particularly memorable moments you'd be willing to share with us um, from, you know, your tenure on the team? I'm sure you've seen and done quite a lot over the years, but, you know, anything that sticks out either from, you know, just working with the team or on a call out itself, 
um, you know, any poignant, eh, poignant memories you'd be willing to chat about? I mean, there's been so many rescues over the last numerous years. Um, it's again, it, it, the whole team is like a family. So, um, we always come back to the hangar and debrief, um, and talk about what happened. Um, some of them are tougher than others. Some of them are, I mean, we joked the other day that not every rescue was like, Oh my God, it was like, you know, hours of, you know, humping in the woods and bears and you know, helicopters and snowmobiles. Um, some are just basic, you know, a twisted ankle on Snow King, which is still interesting. Um, but some of the, you know, some of the more difficult ones have been maybe we had um, a gentleman, a local gentleman that was mauled by a bear in, a couple years ago. It was a really difficult rescue. Just everything about it. Communications were hard. We didn't have a helicopter really available. We didn't know where the person was. Um, the guy was local. Um, the um, client was not. And it was just sort of an unknown. We weren't able to reach uh, the guide that evening. So it was all these questions in our mind, like, is he still alive? Is he, you know, is he doing okay? Did we leave him out? You know, and then there, of course there was a bear in the area that was, you know, a horrible bear that had mauled a person. So there was that in the back of your mind and scary. Um, I would say someone, you know, in the last, I think it was probably two years ago, we had a, a hunter up in the Gravants, um that was a really long, difficult rescue, but the outcome was amazing. Um, and to think back, he maybe wouldn't have made it if we hadn't done our magic and, and it worked so hard as a team. Um, there was a team of us that hiked in a couple hours to get to him. The weather was bad. The helicopter couldn't fly in. He was having really hard medical distress. Um, it was cold. It was snowing. Um, he was a little bit older, uh, and we did everything right. And we packaged him and started the transport out. And we had this miraculous 10 minute window where the helicopter was able to fly in and pick him up. But this was after hours of, you know, we, in the back of our minds, were like this, he might not make it to the trailhead. Um, and so that was a really great, one of those where the helicopter took off and we were sort of all hugging and high-fiving each other and like, wow, we really just saved that guy's life. And he, we did save his life. Um, he was sort of touch and go. Um, I'd say in the last couple of years, we had some weird rescues that we don't necessarily, or we don't usually deal with like some suicides, uh, which were super sad and, and it was hard to deal with a family. Um, we had Gabby Petito, that's not really in our wheelhouse, <laughs> you know, but, we helped with that rescue, um, and our team was the one that ended up finding her. So that was working with people we don't normally work with, like the FBI, and, and um, uh, so that was, I wouldn't say it was memorable. It was more like, that's not something we normally deal with. Uh, yeah, and like a case that has that degree of national attention, you know, right in your own backyard, that would be um, pretty surreal, I would imagine. What's always, I'd say, interesting is when somebody comes up to you, you know, months or years later and said, oh, gosh, you, you rescued me, you saved me. And it's 
you know, you're out of character, you're out of uniform. Like, how did you recognize me? You know, right. this just happened to me the other day at the grocery store. Someone came up to me and like, oh, you're Jen. You rescued me, you know, a couple of years ago. And I just want to think, oh my gosh, I'm like, I don't know how you recognize me because I certainly didn't recognize. Well, you were there on the most memorable day of their life. Right. Probably, right. You know? <laughs> and they were there on a, you know, I don't want to say run of the mill day of yours, but certainly um, you know, a little bit more of a common occurrence, but that's, that's incredible. That's got to feel absolutely amazing. Yeah. Random question. Have you ever um, at, in your team history, do you think you've ever had someone who went from being a patient or subject to being a team member later? Yes, we have. We've had, and some- uh, and some people are inspired by when and after they get rescued. Um, we've had two or three teammates that have been rescued are now our current teammates. Amazing. Um, yeah. So they're like, I see firsthand how important this is. And now I want to be part of it. <laughs> um, but, you know, of course, like you mentioned, um, some, you know, rescues or recoveries, I would imagine in particular are, are difficult. So what do you guys do as a team or what do you do individually? But I would imagine a lot of this happens as a team to cope with the stress and the difficulty of this kind of work. Yeah, so we've been working um, really hard in the last several years on not only psychological first aid, but stress injuries that people um, may encounter post or during a rescue. and it's been a big push for us to sort of take care of ourselves mentally and, and um, focus on wellness and how um, our team is doing in that arena. Um, so like I mentioned before, when we finish a rescue, um, regardless if it's, you know, a twisted ankle on snoking or if it's a really hard recovery, body recovery, um, we always debrief. Um, and that's a chance to sort of say, like, what could we have done differently? How did we do? When, when was your oh shit moment? Whatever it looks like. Um, but we also have um, t- little pods that we work with that we check in with each other after a difficult rescue just to say, like, hey, how are you doing? You know, what do you need? Let's go for a cup of coffee. Let's go for a walk. Or do you need to talk about it? Or... Um, and it's hard for some people <clears throat> to come around, but I think our team knows it's really important that to work through some of those difficulties post an, a rescue. Um, and, you know, PTSD is a real thing, and sometimes it's difficult for individuals to recognize that's what's happening, um, but that's why the team um, is, we're really keen on making sure you're each other um, are working, you know, working it out and, and have each other's backs, checking in on each other. So, no, I, I mean, that's so great to hear and so important. And I think, you know, especially in spaces like this where, um, you can associate with your strength and your toughness, you know, because you're doing something like search and rescue, which is pretty incredible. Um, it's gotta be hard for some folks to ask for help. So to have a systematized way of making sure that you're checking in with each other, I think is such a, um, you know, nimble and graceful way of, of dealing with that. It's just a process. It's just normalized to be there for each other. Yeah. And everyone deals differently with it, you know, um, but it, it is important for each of us to, re- you know, recognize we are teammates and we need to 
check in with each other and make sure everyone's doing okay. Yeah. Well, and, you know, to call back to something you said far earlier, um, you know, one of the, you said one of the main things you, you know, skills you need to have is to be a good teammate. You know, it's, it's not really the case that, you want individuals who are going to run up a mountain and throw someone over their shoulder and run down. Like you have to be, you know, kind of a cog in the machine in a way and to be, you know, play your role, be a good teammate. Now, nobody's trying to be the hero. And I think, you know, part of that of course is taking care of each other throughout, um, throughout a call and then afterward. So exactly. We asked everyone to take off their expert halo. Um, (laughs) When we show up at a restaurant. Their expert halo. I love that. Yeah, perfect. Um, you you mentioned earlier, you know, your reasons for joining the team in the first place. But um, what are your reasons for staying on the team? What's your what's your favorite part about being on the team? Um, my teammates, first and foremost, it's like a family. You know, we count on each other. Um, I mean, to be honest, I have seen some places in this valley I never thought I would go to. Uh, it's, I mean, I always take the time and the opportunity to look around and be like, wow, this is going to be a really amazing trail run next week because I've never been back. So I sort of waypoint that on my phone. Um, the training is amazing. The skill sets that you learn. Um, I mean, that's not anything. It's your accumulation of, of training in, in our camp, um, in our rally. Um, other reasons to say it's exciting. Um, I mean, we train hard. It's when the pager goes off and you can't go and rescue. Uh, it's you're sort of like, oh, what's going on? You know, I tried, You know, I've been to the last six trainings and now I can't go to these three rescues because I'm out of town or busy or, or um, you know, family obligations, etc. So, and just the not, you know, just knowing that we are giving back to the community and it's a necessary or necessary resource that we're providing to um, people living in the Valley. Yeah. I mean, it, it's really, gosh, to wax philosophical here for a second, it really is a, a beautiful human thing that on, you know, what could be the worst day of someone's life, a bunch of strangers who have other jobs and families and lives are willing to drop everything and go help you know that's a a beautiful thing that we humans have constructed for one another yeah i think that i i know the community appreciates all the hard work we're doing um and they've been super supportive through not only monetarily but just um support from you know if i wear my coat going into the grocery store somebody's like oh thank you for all you do wow that's really nice you know so you know from let's say from a search and rescue perspective do you have any advice for folks adventuring in the backcountry um i would uh yes first and foremost tell somebody where you're going even if it's your backyard <laughs> uh, sometimes it's a needle in a haystack when someone calls and says my wife went on a hike and she's overdue i think she went on teton pass that's hard so tell somebody where you're going um be prepared as far as, you know, your basic ski day that you're anticipating being out one or two hours could turn into 24 hours. So make sure you have 
things in your pack that you might not ever use, but you want to know they're there. Fire starter, warmth, a puffy, a med kit, um, and be ready to, you know, self-rescue if, if needed. That's always a good thing. Know where you are. Um, we have uh, our team created Backcountry SOS, which is an app on our phone. It's free and it's really easy to download and you don't need to sign up. And it basically walks you through if you are injured or missing or lost. Um, it's an, And it barely needs any cell service. It just walks you through on, and it sends uh, 911 your location and your coordinates. Um, you know, if you walk, it, it probably takes two minutes to do the whole thing. So if you break your leg and you are um, in the Grovance and, you know, nobody knows where you are, you just bring up your app and, and it walks you through where are you, what happened. And it sends off a quick text to um, cell, serve, cell service wise. So that's an interesting. Everyone should know that, and everyone should have that loaded on their phone. Um, uh, I, you know, I've taught my daughter and all of her friends that how to use it. Um, just a good, good thing to have. Uh, like I said, be prepared. Um, sort of know your limits, stay within them, um, and sometimes you get out of your limits and that's okay. That's why search and rescue exists. Um, you know, for to judge, I don't, I've never judged any of our patients or our victims or, um, and when I start judging people, it's time for me to leave the team. One of our local search and rescue teams up in the area um, that I'm recording my piece from today, uh, Gallatin County search and rescue team, they are often doing outreach to just encourage people to use the resource of the team. They're like, we don't want people to feel, um, you know, shame or embarrassed about needing us. Like we, we exist for this reason, like call us, we're here. Yeah. I'd say, I was, you know, I was just going to say along those lines, like you should call, don't wait until, you know, 1130 at night to make that phone call when you've known since four in the afternoon that you're in trouble. Um, you know, we want to come rescue you. That's why we train and that's why we're prepared. Um, and that's why we practice and we are here for you. Right. Yeah. And you'd probably rather go at 4 p.m. as opposed to 11.30 p.m. <laughs> if you had the opportunity. So 11 o'clock Sunday night, really cold, blowing windy when people call and say, hey, I think, I think I'm lost. Okay. Yeah. That's when they're finally, finally convinced of their own predicament. Right. <laughs> sure. Um, you know, the Greater Yellowstone Coalition is a conservation organization and we are of course interested in stories from across the landscape, you know, whether they're specifically conservation focused or not, but you personally are um, engaged in conservation work through your other, you know, your other volunteer positions as well. Um, so we're going to ask you the same question we ask all of our guests, which is, do you have a conservation hero? And this could be, you know, someone from your daily life or, you know, a famous author. Any, any answer is acceptable. Um, conservation hero, let's say, I mean, of course, there's always Marty Mary. She was amazing. Um, and she was an inspiration for many people and in particular women, um, she was ahead of her time. Um, I would say locally, there's just, there's so many people 
in Jackson that are make it their mission to make sure that open space is available. Um, for, for example, the land trust alone spends, that's what their mission is, is to have that connectivity and have that um, migration corridor. I would say people, there are plenty of people in Jackson Hole locally that um, conservation is their big, biggest mission here. I don't think I could pinpoint one person. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you live in a very remarkable place and you know, that is why people want to want to live there, visit, move, all that. And then if they get in trouble in the process of trying to enjoy all that beautiful, great outdoor space, then you will meet them when they do. That's right. <laughs> all right. Final and I think probably the most important question of this entire podcast. Jen, what's your favorite not? My favorite not. Ooh, okay. Well, there's so many. Um, when I first joined the team many years ago, um, we had to be able to do a figure eight behind our back with our eyes closed. <laughs> wow. I would not say that's my favorite knot, but uh, I do love the butterfly knot. That's mm -hmm. a good one. Yeah. That's useful in any situation, even if it's just hanging your food in the backcountry when you're camping. Um, it's really easy to do. I love the name. Um, I can do that with my eyes closed. Jen, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. We really appreciate it. It's you know great to hear your stories. And of course, thank you so much for all that you do to give back to your community and the ecosystem as a whole. Um, thanks, Kristen. I really appreciate it talking to the Greater Yellowstone Coalition. You guys do amazing work. Um, and I'm really proud to be a team member um, and a longtime team member on Tijan County Search and Rescue. Thank you, Jen, for sharing your story with us and for all you do as a search and rescue volunteer and active community member. We also want to send out a big thank you to all search and rescue folks in Greater Yellowstone and beyond. Your efforts are crucial to helping keep us safe as we explore and stay connected to the natural world. Remember, there are many ways safety and conservation overlap. By using established trails, you can stay oriented while reducing your impact on the landscape around you. By carrying your bear spray and recreating with a friend or two, you can avoid run-ins with wildlife that can endanger both you and the animal in question. Have a plan, be prepared, tell someone where you're going, pay attention to your surroundings, and if you do get in over your head, call for help. Listeners, some of you have been asking how else you can support the Voices of Greater Yellowstone podcast. Besides making a donation to the Greater Yellowstone Coalition, another awesome way to help us reach new people and tell more stories is to review us on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, or Spotify if that's how you tune in. Or you can simply tell a friend about us. We appreciate any and all love you can share. The Voices of Greater Yellowstone podcast is produced by the Greater Yellowstone Coalition, a nonprofit dedicated to working with all people to protect the lands, waters, and wildlife of this special ecosystem. Thank you for joining us today, and we look forward to seeing you next time. <laughs>